Reinhardt, if you ever had a profile on Tinder, what would it say? <laughs> I had one once. You had ago. one? I did, okay. I did. Have one. What did it say? It's three-time world heavyweight shoelace tying champion or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read um, some real Tinder profiles. There are some real whoppers out there, yeah. aren't there? Vanessa, 19, 18 miles away. If what you look for is a girl with personality, then you're in luck because I have multiple. <laughs> Shh, don't listen to her. That's actually her profile. <laughs> well, look, I think she might be a match for this guy. Uh, Jesus, he's 21. He's a carpenter. And it says, actually, he's several thousand years old. <laughs> I don't know why it says 21. Lol. Downsides, I've only been nailed once. <laughs> Upside, I would die for you, so you know I'm committed. Swipe right if you need some Jesus in you. <laughs> They're really creative, those profiles. How amazing. Tinder and online dating changed how people meet, especially the millennia and Gen Z. Yes, totally transformed the romance landscape. And in this episode, we really want to talk about dating apps because I know a lot of people use them all over the world, not only in Australia or in the Western world. Everyone uses dating apps, but a few of us know how dating apps were created. And if we're really going to find our match when we go swipe left and right. You're listening to Tech for Evil. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neil. A prison for your mind. So you told me about the video dating. I've never heard of video dating. It was, Vi- yeah. They use VCR and... You sit in front of a camera and you record, this was back in the 80s and 90s, you would record a profile, you tell the camera about yourself, and then the company would send that video of you Make and copies, other... Cal- like many yeah, copies. Many okay. copies of that and send that around. And that was how they used to do this... I guess, earlier form of video dating. Matchmaking. Well, a fun fact is that there there were three employees of PayPal who said, hey, why don't we make this system where you can take your videos and upload them online? So they were going to digitize the whole thing. And it was called TuneIn Hookup. (laughs) TuneIn Hookup. And guess what? What year was that? Ah, it was 2000 and, oh, 2005, I think. Okay. 2005 that these three employees came up with that idea. And then they abandoned the idea and actually created YouTube out of it. Wait, what? Yeah, YouTube's origin story is that it was it going was a, to be it was a dating a app. Dating app, a video the first dating online. App. Actually, yeah. it's a good idea having online video. <laughs> it was going to be a catalog of all these online dating profiles. So if you want to explain to your grandmother or a, a lucky friend who never had to go use um, online dating to find a date, what, how would you explain how to them online dating? How would describe what it is? Well, uh, so the way I'd describe it is think of, think of online dating as a digital catalog of people who are also looking for relationships. And you can make a profile, you can upload pictures and personal information and you can browse other people's profiles. And idea, the idea is supposedly that the technology, the computer power in the background is going to match you with compatible people. And once you're matched, you can privately message and you get to know each other and set up dates. So it sounds easy enough, but 
I don't think that's exactly what's happening now in the modern online dating world. I, yeah, I don't think it's this smart matchmaker. Um, so how how did we come to online dating? Like, if you can just explain to us, with the major players today, how big is this market? How did it start, this, this Tinder and Bumble and, oh my God, so yeah. many hinge. I think the story, from what I can tell, starts with Kiss.com and Match.com in the mm-hmm. mid-90s. They were the two biggest players, but there was only two services at the time. And what happened was, you might remember there was a film, You've Got Mail. Yeah, Meg I Ryan, watched that one. Tom I love Hanks. that one. I, I've yeah. seen it as well. And that actually spurred on the popularity of online dating. online dating. So actually a few short years later, there were far more dating apps. They're up to about 16 by the time we get to um, the t- early 2000s. So there, were, there was a, an explosion of these apps very early on. There and were not apps at the time. They were online. Uh, uh, yes, you're because, right. Yeah, you're apps right. were only on smartphones. Sites. They yeah, were websites. Yeah, websites. Harmony, I remember. And- yeah. I think what happened after that is that we had – the social networking revolution. Yeah. So Friendster, MySpace, there was a stigma with online dating services. So by using MySpace and Friendster to find people, it was less embarrassing to say I, we met on MySpace or we yeah, met on Friendster. It is, it's funny, right? Like my generation and your generation, if they meet their partner or if they are online dating, they won't tell you. Like they it kind of there's this yeah. stigma. Like, oh my God, are you such a loser a to just boo. find dates online? Yeah. 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 It's funny, right? Exactly. But I think Gen Z and um, the millennials, uh, they don't have that because they are internet native. So yeah. they, they grow up with the smartphones and social media. Interesting. Yes. And then obviously Facebook coming along totally transformed that in 2004, 2005 because that amplified the um, the idea that you could find your potential match on a social yeah hot or not was site. the first one before Facebook yeah yeah, yeah. so the, this this sort of meant that there was some it looked like there was competition there for a while from the social networking apps but that's it didn't it didn't kill the uh, online dating services in fact the online dating services grew and more more people started to sign up specifically to services. Um, so by 2010, there were a lot of specialized apps and you could date uh, along all kinds of dimensions. You could look for every kind of orientation or religion or country or special hobby that you could think of to the point where by 2007, there was half a billion dollars every year on online dating apps. People spent uh, half a million dollars. Spent, yeah. Wow, half a billion. Yeah. Some of the biggest players then were and now are Tinder. Badu and ba- Badu has been around longer than Tinder, actually. Bumble, Hinge, and Badu is the Chinese Tinder. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it, Badu was bigger than Tinder globally in terms of numbers and market share. Until globally about or only in China? Globally, globally. Yeah. So in global rankings, Badu was bigger than Tinder for market share globally. But then around 2017, 2018, they overtook Tinder. Overtook Badu in market share, and there were others like Hinge, Tanton. Plenty of fish, grinder, um, yeah. and there are more, of course. The, the funniest one I found was one called Bang with Friends, <laughs> which it hooked into <laughs> your Facebook account to find other people that you could sort of secretly um, mark or tag as being more than just liking, quote unquote. So yeah. Tinder is you the most popular. Crush. Yeah. Now by 2022, uh, we're now at a point where we're spending $5.6 billion dollars. On social, online, on online, looking for love, dating, yeah, romance activities. Mia, what are some of the biggest 
things that the numbers are revealing about online dating? What do we know? It's funny. I think the one I have from 2020, but I think it's enough to give you an idea of how big is Tinder. Tinder yeah, has okay. over 100 million downloads so far, 80 plus languages support it, 20 plus billion matches done, 1.8 billion swipes every day. 1.8 billion? Yes. 50 plus million members. It's crazy. This is, these are the statistics from 2020. One of the things I'm keen to explore here is the design of it. What's yes. the architecture that's driving the online dating services? It's interesting that we all use apps and a lot of people use dating apps, but they don't understand the design and the science behind it and how psychology actually is embedded in designing and creating these uh, dating apps. We, ha we talked in Captology about all the ways technologists use to make their apps addictive. Yeah. And that's not different from dating apps. It's actually more addictive dating apps. Uh, so they use the same techniques, which is notifications. Infinite scroll. Infinite scroll, because there's infinite pool of matches. But also they use something interesting. The swipe left and right that was... Um, invented by the co-founder of Tinder, and his name is Jonathan, I'll read his name, Bedin, Jonathan Bedin. He said, from the beginning, I had a nagging desire to gamify it. So he used that he is mimicking a stack of cards. And if you're playing poker, you have two piles. You have the discard pile on your left and you have the card. Yeah. Wow. So when you want to discard the card, because it's not, you're not going to play with it, you just discard it on the pile on your left. So that's the swipe left, which is interesting. There are a couple of stories, but I do believe in this one because the CEO of uh, Tinder at the time, Sean Rad, uh, he explained it was built, designed on a stack of cards playing poker. So it's not the first time we've encountered this pattern where technology is borrowing ideas from the gambling, gambling. industry and the, the, the targeting the addiction centers of the brain. The dopamine. Yeah. So... Let's go through the design of, um, first of all, it mimics a slot machine. Why? When we swipe, we don't know what's coming next. There's no database I look at and I choose. Mm. There is just, um, if you swipe left, that's it. That's one chance. So you have to make that decision based on a picture and one liner. You have to just be that, you know. Like user. a high stakes game. At yeah, a, it's at just a, like swipe left. And, at a craps table, yeah. It's just, it's just the way it is designed is mimicking slot machines. And also the variability reward. Yes. Because you never know what's coming next. So that makes it really addictive. Those dopamine hits every time we swipe and you never know who's coming next. Um, they also use this, oh, uh, this and that. And they blur their faces, uh, liked your picture or liked your profile, pay this much or subscribe to this. To see who else liked you. That was, that's very interesting. So it is uh, built to be addictive. And unfortunately, that addiction, sometimes people just go there just for, to be on the app. They're not even looking for a relationship or dating. The interesting thing is only 10% of the matches you make on these dating app would start a conversation. Like say hi or hey. That's so low. So imagine from... 100 matches. Look at the time that's invested. Yeah, hours of around, time. Yeah. And that's, that makes people question themselves. Like, it's some, something like I spend all this effort and time on the app. Why I can't get a date? Mm. Why is so much effort like to even make a conversation with someone? Because these apps also, the way it's designed, it gives you the illusion of plenty. 
So you don't invest in getting to know the person. The other thing what really um, how these apps commodify the human experience but you just, you're in a shop, window shopping. There are profile photos with one line and the age. And then based on that photo, if it's good enough for you, you will swipe right or you will accept that profile. And that's sad that our humanity... Is being uh, reduced down to a few numbers. And a few pictures. Yeah. That's superficial. That you, you look at a photo. Like, I don't know when did we go to that level where we just look at someone's photo and we just say... He's worthy of my time and attention and take going on a date with them or not by just looking at the photo. Um, so the way it's designed, it changes the psychology of relationships. It makes things transactional, disposable, superficial. You don't even invest because it is always better. They're always next and it creates addiction. I did this quote for Dr. Adi Jaff and he's expert in addiction. And he explains the addiction that created by these apps. He says, each hit of dopamine provides reinforcement for more interaction with the app and device. Combine that with the endless and cyclical nature of searching through the database with random new potential dates showing up. And of course, there's no reason for us to stop swiping. What if the next one is better? What if the next? But also the algorithm is a black box. So what happened is you don't have access to the database. They uh, match you with people. And when they match you with people, it depends on your rating. Like when you, when you first create a profile with Tinder, they just assign you a score, a random score. And then based on that score, they match you with someone randomly. And then the more you swipe left and right, they learn about your preferences. So they swap you with people like that. But the interesting thing that no one knows anything about the algorithm that decide who to match you with and why. And that's for me, I always question that now my problem with social media and such apps, when it's a black box, I don't trust it. I don't know how they decide. Mm. But from studying these apps, most scientists and researchers find a, a common thing between them, that it's designed to be very addictive and it's designed to keep you as much and as long time on these dating apps. Not to find you a match, really, to keep you actually single and miserable, which is completely the opposite. Yeah, the longer we're there, the more we're making them revenue, right? Because if they actually found us a match, we would no, no longer have a need for our there. dating profile. Yeah. Why would so I we would do leave. That? So they're not incentivized actually to find a match for us. They're incentivized to keep us there and keep us in a perpetual search for our partner and not actually to find them. And, and we still can't find independent numbers of how many people found their partners on these dating apps, it's like long-term. scarily long low, term. isn't it? We still, I, I tried to find these numbers. Pretty much the lobbyists been removing these numbers or posting the wrong numbers. So the, the right, numbers, well before, the rumors, before you reveal it, I want to tell you that I, I used to assume that it was 80, 90% no, success no. rates because I thought that the, the computational power of who they were matching me with was so advanced that they would be able to really get a good success rate for me and all the other people on the platform. But you're, I'm, I'm guessing you're about to shock yeah, me I, with some other I numbers. Still, I still can't verify the number, but it's the numbers is between three to five percent of success rate. Wow! So imagine from hundred person you match with, ten percent talk to you, one percent of those people would accept to go on a date with you. So out of all that effort and time you put on those dating apps. 
you might find someone. But how I, I want to ask those three to five percent people who found partners or long-term relationships on these apps, how much effort you put there? Like, pretty much too much effort, or you were really lucky and you just settled with the first person you really connected with. But the interesting interesting thing is when you go to a casino, you never win. The house always wins. wins because yeah. they use math and this math in Australia they call it maths. <laughs> <laughs> math, they use math and the math will always make the house win. So we're just in an asymmetric relationship using these dating apps. The worst part of the design of dating apps, they're designed to collect as much data about us. And we're like desperate and, and, and intrigued or trust so much trust on these dating apps because we generally want to find a partner or a relationship. Yeah. We're deeply committed to it as well. So we're happy too. to hand over our information if we're asked if it's in the cause of finding us a lifelong partner. I certainly was when I was using the apps. So imagine, like what type of data you gave those dating apps when you used them? Well, I told them- Sensitive data. Sensitive data, things like my political affiliations exactly. or the way that, I, you know- the Your religious politics views. That, yeah, my religious views, uh, age, background, salary, for example. Wow. And, yeah. and the salary yeah. that I would desire in a partner- uh, all kinds of things. And and those dating apps easily take so much personal information about it, our height, our weight, our the our what we what food we like, what movies we watch, what books we read. Because we're thinking the algorithm are are, are we as much as we give the algorithm information about it, they will find us a perfect match. But unfortunately, dating apps are known to harness and harvest all this data and use it for their own benefits sell it to data brokers uh, and so many of these dating apps being hacked and all this sensitive data is now available whoever hacked it because they didn't they didn't protect it very well we learned also that match.com actually owned the five biggest apps anyway so if you think that 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 you're safe because the the data is being distributed and and, and disaggregated across different platforms and so nope. therefore you're safer it's not the case it's all going to one central Business. Yeah, Match, I think, owns Tinder, Bumble, yeah. um, Plenty of Fish. They own they own a lot of these dating apps, which is so funny that, that one company, one giant company owns all this. Okay, Cupid, all these are under one company, Match.com. The expert in addiction, Dr. Adi Jaff, explains that dating apps uh, are built on the concept of minimum effort, for high return on investment, equal fewer quality connections, more pickiness, and becoming emotionally drained. So we become pickier and pickier because um, I want someone shorter or taller or longer or darker or whatever. And you really don't look at the at the human and the person. Mm. You just we become so superficial. It's sad. Imagine like I, I print my photo and I put it in a in a notice board in my school or my college. And under the singles, the singles notes board, and and people come and <laughs> swipe left and right next to me. Yeah, so it's, degrading. Yeah, it's, it is degrading. Demoralizing. So, uh, dating dating from one culture to another is so different. So Saudi Arabians, like I grew up Muslim, I grew up in a very conservative society. Would dating is something you can't just go on a date with someone. No. So most of the young people, they come with these creative ways of finding dates. So they write their numbers on this really large sign and they stick it to their car windows 
So passing cars with girls who are interested would just take the number wow. and quietly send a message or call them. You've got these clandestine methods of trying to advertise that you're in the market for a romantic partner. And, and this is this is was the time of landlines. Like imagine the risk you take because yeah. in Saudi Arabia, you can't just talk to a, um, a stranger, like a, a woman who's not your uh, fiance. Or you already mm. talked to her parents. Very high stakes it is gamble, high stakes. isn't it? But they were funny. Because, like yeah. they would, they would go. Uh, like if we are in the shopping mall, the boy, if he likes a girl, and we're just covering our face. I don't know how a boy like a girl if she's fully covered. He would go and stick. He writes his number on a piece of paper, fold it, and just put it, sneak it in her oh, bag <laughs> when she's not looking. And it's cute. Imagine you go home and you just open the bag, and there is a number there. And then it's, it's, it's gambling. It's just like... We were discussing this earlier because you, you grew up in Saudi Arabia. I grew up here in Australia on the other side of the planet. And so you would you think date? those cultures are very different. But actually, our experiences we discovered are very similar because as a Christian growing up, the idea of dating was also very distant. As mm. a Christian, we didn't date. So you didn't ask a girl for a date? No. Oh, not for a long time. It was more... The, the way that it was pitched to us in my religious upbringing was that Approaching a girl was a very serious thing and instantly that meant you you needed to go with the intention that this was this could potentially be a lifelong partner. Wow. There wasn't really an understanding that this was yeah, two people learning too. about each yeah, other. That's my and upbringing. Interesting that we were on other sides of the planet and we had such similarities in our upbringing. And that led to a lot of shame when I really started getting older and wanting to date more and meet women and, and realized that I was actually behind in my education dating techniques in dating well dating education and self-awareness too because the beautiful thing of of romance and dating i think which is why a lot of people turn to these apps is because they're looking for that development of themselves being in a relationship and all the beautiful learnings that come from that and i was i think i was a bit deprived of it sounds like wow. maybe you may have been as well a bit stunted we had stunted dating when growth. was your first date Reinhardt? Oh, I can't remember. I probably would have been in my 20s or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, so my, very late. My first date actually was with my first ex-husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I He was the first man I dated in my life. First wow. man, which is funny. I did go to forums in the late 90s, early 2000s. These are like this, online bulletin there's boards. There's an online bulletin board where you go if you're, in, if you're looking for a husband. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. This was in Saudi. <laughs> this was in Saudi. Yeah. But that tells you also, like when you go to these and you share so much private things and they're not protected, you end up like really putting yourself at risk of your information and your personal life uh, being looked at by whoever have access to this information and whoever can hack them and read it. You're listening to Tech for Evil with Reinhard Sosen and Manal Sharif. Now, welcome back to Tech for Evil. We're talking about online dating, and uh, and our guest is not happy. And our guest is very <laughs> unhappy. Leon the He's puppy. So young to date. <laughs> so what's what's next, Mia? What are we going to discuss uh, next for the topic? I think it's important to understand how online dating and uh, those dating apps how they're changing, whether the dynamic in dating, our relationships uh, with um, when we go out and date. Um, relationships with our partners. I think it's very important and also how it's impacting our psychology, our mental health. I think this is important to discuss in such an episode. Yeah. 
because there are some real world impacts that we're having. And by impacts, we mean harms. We mean negative impacts to things like body image, um, the desensitization of how we're treated on dating apps and the types of behaviors that have emerged. We're talking like antisocial behaviors that I'm sure people listening will recognize. Ghosting, uh, cloaking, which is like ghosting, but the next level of ghosting. Blocking people everywhere. Blocking people everywhere. Uh, Catfishing, the phenomenon of the back burner network where you have a person um, uh, in the waiting room, sitting yeah, there. You have, like you have people in the waiting room just in case your primary relationship doesn't work out. And that's not even to mention yet that some of the strangest antisocial behaviors to come out of online dating, the, the phenomenon of unwanted dick pics that are plaguing women across the planet who are trying to just manage their, their private messages and their DMs only to, to be bombarded by unwanted, unsolicited sexual images. And also, you know, when women receive these uh, unwanted pictures or being, uh, there are a lot of serious cases of women being raped, yes. scammed, abused, physically abused, verbally abused, and they go and they re- report that to these dating apps. And guess what? Those accounts are still there. They don't remove them. They don't uh, warn other uh, uh, women. And men, of course, men, I know, I know men, they face the scams especially uh, elder people who are lonely and who wants company, they yeah. fall for these scams yeah. uh, where people ask to give them money or... Um, they lose it, life savings. Yes, yes, they, yes. They also so it's, it's, it's fascinating that. I want to read uh, from the, uh, uh, Professor Jenny Young. She's also um, a blogger. She posts in Medium. And she. I want to read the quote from one of her articles. I love this article. Sure. The article is, I just figured out why online dating doesn't work. And she says, from the get-go, we approach the quest for true love the way we approach shopping on Amazon. We filter and rank and add to cart and save for later and comparison shop and bargain hunt. Basically, we completely commodify our potential dates. You even said, uh, what did you say about the... Oh, and, and we also get upset when they run out of stock. Yes. Um, so it's an addictive game. So here is a blogger, Andrea. She writes about her experience with dating apps. She said, essentially, swiping is an addictive game design, designed to keep you single. This is perhaps fine if you're just looking to have fun. Although there is growing research that indicates even in this case, it's neither fine nor fun, leading over time to anxiety and depression. And it's funny because when people put so much effort and they still can't find a match, they start questioning themselves when women the insecurities are amplified, and that too. And when women and men they get rejected, they get ghosted. It, it makes them question them, their their sanity, their self worth. And the other thing, a lot of people go to these dating apps just to while they are working with the end of a relationship, a divorce, a breakup, and they use it as their pacifier. Like imagine playing with other people's emotions uh, because it's as pacifier. And that's why when you meet someone who is a complete stranger online, you don't know their family, you don't know their uh, uh, their circumstances, where they work, nothing about them. All you have is a couple of pictures and a height and a created, weight maybe. Finally created life. They can create yeah. whatever life they want, present it to you. And there's no way for you to verify that this life actually exists. So um, around 40% or something of people on dating apps are actually in a committed relationship. So it's also facilitate 
um, having multiple partners without that person, your first partner or your committed partner, even know about your secret life. Wow. So it's reshaping the what we mean by commitment in the modern world as well in relationships too, it sounds like. And yeah, I love how you explained that also it plays in the commit, like when you are committed to someone. Can yeah. you explain that? I, lo- I loved how you... Well, I, I'm thinking that, that two people who have a sense of commitment in that relationship will probably find it tempting to keep a back door mm. open for in case. a whole new catalogue of new people who they can reset a relationship with. And they may be tempted to think that it's much easier to reset a relationship with a new partner than really remain committed to the growth and the learning that comes from there and the investment, yeah, that comes, the emotional investment from the current committed relationship yeah, that they're in. So there's plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah, this illusion of abundance that we get out of dating apps is very tempting. And I think it is changing our commitment or what we mean by commitment and maybe even what we mean by cheating as well. And and dating apps, what it does, it does change the way people uh, build relationships. Because if there's abundance, there's plenty, you don't really invest the time and effort to get to know the person because there's always the next one. Yeah. And, and, and that's also sad because if we go there just for for the for fun and we um and that person you didn't know them you just met them online so you didn't know their intentions and you have to look for all the red flags to know if they're into they're looking for a relationship or not unless they are really honest and they told you up front then you're really lucky but if not you could just be end up um, a mistress to someone who already have family and a wife yeah. and kids, and you have no clue. Very hard to search for those red flags when all you're presented with is that curated life on the profile. Here's a, blog, a blogger. Her name is Rachel Presser. And, and she says in one of her blogs, Shopping for Partner, she says, reducing people to swipes, shopping for a partner the same way you look for a blender on Amazon. <laughs> it just sounds incredibly unenjoyable and exhausting compared to getting out in the world. I agree with her. 